Hey everyone, Charles here. And first of all, thank you for stopping by my podcast. If this show inspires you, makes you think, or gives you that courage to jump into action, please help by donating to this show. Click the link in the description and donate. Your donation helps us with production and finding great guests moving forward. Thank you and enjoy. and welcome to the jump podcast if this is your first time here welcome now jump is all about getting to the next level now i don't mean jumping up and down you know we could all do that but what i'm talking about is jumping into greatness success is waiting what are you waiting for so i try to find out the best people around to help me talk about jumping to the next level and i think i got the guy for you today so if you want to sit back and relax and find out what he did to change his life around. You know, we're just relaxing, two brothers talking. I think this is the show for you. Stay tuned and let's jump. You know you should be doing something different, right? Hey, I'm talking to you. Do you believe that you have the gift for greatness or have a special talent, but don't have the courage to take that next step? Always wondering how others made it look so easy? Well, welcome to Jump, the show that will bring you special guests just like you and me. How did they get the courage to jump into greatness? Doing what they love and living the good life. So get ready to jump with your host, Charles Matthews Jr. Thank you so much for joining us live. Now, please welcome. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a coach. And I think after this, he's going to be a great friend. Please welcome to this show, Mike. Give him a big round of applause. Hey, hey, Charles. Hey, everybody out there. Thanks for having me. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Good, good. Where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from upstate New York. There you go. How's the weather right now, man? I got I got my hoodie on. I'm just relaxed with you because it's kind of chilly right now. Yeah, it's heading in that direction. It's it's about 45, somewhere around there. It's heading in that, in that direction toward the 30s, which okay. is the norm for this time of year. All right, all right. So, Mike, man, let me let me ask you. You look like a big boy. You work out, man? Yeah, I've worked out all my life. I mean, I've played a lot of sports and coming up in high school and played sports in the military. So, yeah, working out is a big part of my life for sure. All right, so let's backtrack. Let's talk about your life. Born and raised, where are you from? Originally from Patterson, New Jersey. Okay. Yes, sir. If you remember the uh, the 1980s movie, Lean on me with Principal Joe Clark. That's my high school, Patterson Eastside, the ghost. That was really your high school? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> that's my high school. <laughs> Man, you've seen that on the film. You're like, hey, that's my locker right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know what? It's hilarious because um, I was I was new in the military when uh, when the movie came out. I, okay. I, uh, the, when the movie came out, I was in my first year in the military, I think. And I remember going to the movie theater down in Alabama with, uh, where we were stationed with a couple more of my troop friends and I'm sitting there in the theater I'm like oh man I know that guy oh I know that area oh yeah I used to play ball over there and they're like oh stop it you don't know those people I'm like sure I do you know <laughs> you, you had to go back and pull out all the, the old photos with the afros and stuff growing up right 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 
All right. So if that's your high school, man, then what did, what was your dreams and aspirations growing up? Like, what did you want to become? What did you want to do? Or was mid- military was always in your foresight? No, not at all. Military military wasn't in my for, foresight at all um, for, for a long time. Um, I thought I was going to be playing for the Dallas Cowboys. That was my goal. Okay. That was my goal. I was going to be a wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys. You know, mm-hmm. I had one of those little plastic uh, cheap helmets that my parents bought back in the days with a star on the side. And you couldn't tell me I wasn't going to be a receiver for, for the Cowboys. But uh, it didn't work out that way, you know. Didn't work so, out that way, and um, and I opted to go into the military instead. So, what age did you, did you jump in? Um, as soon as I turned eighteen, I was gone. Yep, I was gone. Uh, you know, I want I I knew that I wanted to get out of the inner city as well. You know, I grew mm. up in a in a good home, two parent home, which was a rarity for the area that we grew up in. You know, right. two two solid parents that came from the south and m- migrated north to New Jersey, made a life for themselves, and um. And raised me and me and my brothers and my one sister, and they did a great job at that. I mean, in, in terms of um, financial wherewithal, we we never had a lot in that regard. But mm-hmm. in terms of morals and integrity, and you know, just being taught the lessons of hard work, seeing my mom and dad get up every morning and do what they do, you know, that that still carries me to this day. So, so they you know, held it. They held it down. They held, they it, held down. it down big time. Still holding it down. And right now, they're they're somewhere I think in the. Uh, upper 50s in terms of years married nice. i don't remember the exact one yeah well, congratulations to those two so you said you got what brothers and sisters yes sir i have uh it was five boys and one girl my Woo! sister's uh the baby of family she was the last try for oh, a girl and they, my god i feel sorry for that man who tried to date that girl <laughs> <laughs> tell me about it yes sir he had to come yeah. to the door knock on the door not only did he have the father to deal with she had like five brothers standing there going, what do you want with my sister? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's five of us. Um, I'll tell this part when I get more deeper in my story, but uh, one of us, one of the brothers is, is no longer here. Um, unfortunately due to suicide. And um, mm. yeah, so those are some waters that, that we had to traverse through as a family and, and move to a new normal. If, you know, if I can say that. So let's let's talk about that then. Let's talk about what is the new normal because you know I I, I read your bio. I you know people are going to understand what you do. Yeah, you know what I mean. So let's 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 dive right into it. So in the military, you go in there as eighteen, right? And then take us take us from that journey because a lot of us can't see it. Leaving home at eighteen, jumping into the military, what's sure. it like? You know what we what do we see is on TV and compared to real life? What is like? What's it like? <laughs> Yeah, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So, um, uh, my oldest brother Eddie uh, was a Marine, and so he he kind of prepared me mentally. Once I made the decision that I would that that's, that's the route that I was going to take, he kind of groomed me as much as he could to get ready for boot camp and things of that nature, just from the you know the mental prep side. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it relates to the physical side, I knew I could handle that with no problem because you know working out and. In the inner city, even to get on a basketball court, you got to be halfway decent or else you'll be sitting on the sideline for a long time. <laughs> okay. So I grew up just playing all sports and, and being pretty good, pretty good at them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I went in, I uh, went into boot camp and um, just like he, he, he said, it was uh, it was um, what he told me it was going to be. When I finished boot camp, um, I was in an engineer unit, an engineer unit that can be deployed anywhere in the world because we we dealt with um 
explosives we dealt with we could build bridges we could blow bridges we could do all that kind of stuff so it was a mm. unit that that went in and did some nasty stuff from time to time uh and my second year in we were sent to the border of nicaragua um we're talking in the mid 80s right now i don't date okay. myself but we're talking <laughs> the mid 80s right now if you remember uh um <clears throat> if you remember what's his name uh colonel oliver north Mm-hmm. And that whole situation there that was happening with uh, the Contra, Sandinista. The Sandinista were a group of Nicaraguan rebels that had overrun Nicaragua. And they, they, they put a coup in place and they took over Nicaragua. And they were coming for Honduras. Honduras is American interest. So the president at that time obviously wasn't having that. And he sent us in with Marines and with other um, special type troops to go in and do do special things. You know, uh to to put that fire out if you will and protect protect honduras and so i was in that environment and that deployment for six months and uh it was you know there's no reference point for something like that no matter how difficult an upbringing you had there's no reference point for being in a hostile situation where you know where your life can be taken any second you don't know what's around the next bush and we're talking central america so it's lush jungle out there and things of that nature and um one of the things that i saw older guys doing and i'll preface that by saying this is no slight on the military uh or anything like that but the reality is that sometimes in situations like that the situation is so surreal and because you don't have a reference point for it you do things to anesthetize yourself to the reality to numb yourself to the reality and that's where addiction started from me i mean you literally could walk through some of that jungle and find 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 things that cartels had hidden out there and Mm. dudes would chew i would see older troops um chewing coca leaves coca leaves i just see them chewing green leaves and i'm like well what is that yeah you gotta do this you do this you get numb that way if today is your day you don't feel anything ah yeah and so um you know and i started joining the bandwagon we we had we had this mantra today is our day we chew Mm -hmm. the leaf we say yep today is our day to get our head up just mm-hmm. in case we get wet up. Yeah. And, that, and that, that was a mentality in that kind of a crazy unit. You had to function that way. I'm not saying that everybody did that because that would be a lie. Mm-hmm. But a lot of us, a lot of us did just to make function. it just to go through the day and say, OK, whew, that's another day. Good, moving yeah, on from there. just to go through the day. And you also, you know, if you have any kind of heart, your heart has to be anesthetized and you become you become monster-like, almost like you're in a, in a video game or something like that because you can't feel for other human beings in that environment that you're told to go and do X, Y, and Z against. Gotcha. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's something that people have no reference point for unless you've been in it. So then how long were you in the military for? I, I, was in the, I stayed in the military altogether for uh, just shy of eight years. So when I came back from that situation, my second year... Um, or, or when I came back from the, the situation in Central America, the issue was the situation didn't leave me. So I still I still was able to raise rise up through the ranks and all. But I knew something had changed about me as a mm-hmm. person. I wasn't okay. the same. I wasn't the same guy. And then I would be even though I was I rose up, I hit sergeant and kept rising um, because I, I thrive in that disciplined environment. I loved it. I loved it. I loved I loved being a soldier. And then when I became a sergeant, I loved leading the troops and training the troops. But I had this other secret side of me now. Like from time to time, I didn't know why my mind was thinking 
what I was thinking and to express that at the level I was at would be to show weakness, especially in the unit that I was in. So I, I kind of just suffered secretly and from time to time I would sneak off and, you know, and go and do a substance here or go and drink a little bit too much here, saying that this addiction thing that was developed in Central America was now on me, but I didn't understand it, but I know it kept, it just kept calling me, you know? And so I, I functioned and got along in the military for all those years. And uh, eventually, eventually my last year in, you know, I said, you know what, this is getting crazy here. I really got to get some help. So I, uh, I reached out and, um, and got started to get some counseling. And then eventually I made the choice to get out the military because my initial intention was now that I had all this training, weapons training, this, that, and the other, I was going to go back home. Once I had a handle on this addiction thing, my plan was to go back home and join New Jersey State Trooper because I fit height, size, build, mm. all that stuff. That was that was what I was going to do. And my dad actually had a contact um, who was a guy who was a captain in a New Jersey State Trooper, and he was he was the lead recruiter for quote unquote minority recruitment. So my dad was you know preaching me to him, and he was ready when I came out. But again, that addiction thing wasn't wasn't done with me, you know. And and I still. When I got home, I didn't tell people what I was dealing with. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell everybody that I love what I was dealing with because, again, I really didn't know. I just know that I just know that um, that that craving to continue to do some of the stuff that I was doing when I was deployed kept happening, kept happening, kept happening, and eventually it started ruining my life. You know, now, hold on. Let me let me stick a pin in there for a second. Sure. You said you didn't want to tell. Is it because you thought, oh, I can handle this? This is something I can handle. Okay, just a little bit more. I know I can, I can break this thing. Or why didn't you want to say something? Why didn't you want to, you know, get help? You said you look for help, but you didn't want to tell the family why. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Stop. Are you ready to maximize the impact of your podcast interviews and elevate your brand like never before? Stop wasting time on interviews that don't reach their full potential. With our cutting-edge AI technology, you can transform your content into captivating marketing materials in just seconds. Don't wait for hosts to promote your work. Take control of your brand's narrative today. Click the link below and unlock the full potential of your interviews. Say hello to Proactive Marketing Mastery and watch your brand soar with Cast Magic. Well, I didn't want to tell them because number one, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be seen as somebody who left and went out and did all these great things and then came back as some kind of a failure, mm. you know. And um, it was to me, it was a sign of weakness to say that this thing, this these substances that can't move themselves unless I move them, are now taking over me. I mean, I've I've never been that psychologically weak. So, gotcha. um, so I chose to. The other thing is that. Because of the unpredictability of what was going on in my head, I mm -hmm. didn't want that to be around my parents because I still had the psych psychological stuff of all that I had gone through. I had never really processed all that. I just kind of got out, came out the situation, went back into military service, um, the regular day to day and kept living as, you know, kept doing what I was called to do, but never really processed yeah. the psychological pain of that, too. So all that stuff combined eventually got the best of me and and suffering in silence is the best way that i know how to explain it and gotcha. eventually i said you know what 
um, I'm kind of no good for anybody right now. So I'm just going to take myself off the radar or off the grid, if you will. And and I was homeless. I was homeless um, to one extent by choice because I, all, all my all my families have homes and things of that nature. And they would easily take me in. But I didn't want to bring that on them. So I used my military training and all to live in the streets. And that's what I did. I was kind of nomadic um, for for a couple years, back and forth to the Veterans Hospital, but not telling anybody still what I was dealing with. I would secretly go to the Veterans Hospital, get some counseling, sit in one of those therapy groups, and then come back. And when when the reality of my situation um, got the best of me, I would go and drink or you know or do something else. And and I was caught in that vortex for for a while. All right, so here it is. Then, yeah, we're listening to your story. We're, everybody's thinking right now. Oh my God. You know, he's gone through this. He did this. He's gone through this. This is traumatic. But then everybody wants to know now, because if they, you know, here it is. If they click on this and go to your website, I said in the beginning, speaker, author, great man. They want to know when the jump came. When did you jump and everything just turned around? Like, what happened? What was it? A light bulb? You know, did you look in the mirror one day? What happened? Yeah, Charles. So. In the midst of my bondage is what I'll call it. I would always say to myself, even when I'm sitting somewhere in a park by myself, just reflecting over my life, I would always say to myself, if I don't die in this situation here, something good is going to come out of this. I would always say that. And I always had a belief in God. I didn't have a, a name or, or a real religious reference for it. I just knew that the spirit in me was connected to a being that was a whole lot more powerful than me and and even had kept me alive in that Central America situation, still keeping me alive. So there's got to be purpose of some sort to my life if I make it through this. I've always thought that way. And so uh, uh, one day I went I'd come up out of about a 48 hour stupor and was kind of staggering my way to my mom and dad's house. Literally, um, I just wanted to go in, take a shower, maybe get something to eat and maybe sleep for a couple hours and 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 be gone because i would pop in from time to time they'd want to see me at least but yeah. they wouldn't they wouldn't ask me questions but they knew that i was Something. different Something. yeah yeah my mom would always say you know i'm i'm not sure what's going on but i know you're not the same mike that left here years ago she would say mm-hmm. that and so uh so when i was on the way there i saw a guy that used to be in the streets with me when i first came home from the service this is about three years now after the fact and this guy was as clean as a whistle. It was a Sunday morning. He was as clean as a whistle, and he was <laughs> he was going somewhere. He, he had he had a little Bible under his arm, and he saw me, and he was like he was like, brother, all I'm gonna say, I'm not gonna preach to you. All I'm gonna say is that you have way too much potential. You don't have to stay in that situation right there. You know, help is available. And he told me about a place that was um, on on Broadway in Patterson, New Jersey. It's a it's a spiritual place, a Christian place. Anyway, I went there just to see what he was talking about. And my intention was to just go there, maybe get a couple meals, have a conversation with people and kind of recharge my battery. That's you know? it. Get in, yeah. get out, <laughs> get it. I'm gone. <laughs> that was that was my intention. But uh, during the couple days that I stayed in that place, mm-hmm. some, something happened. Something happened in my in my mind, in my spirit, in my resolve. To, to conquer what was con- what had conquered me mm. and uh i had a long talk with the director of the place i'll never forget that and and he just said maybe you just need to get out of patterson get out of familiar surroundings 
and you know go somewhere and he told me about this place that was kind of in the suburbs and a place called Marstown, new jersey which is which is about 30 miles west of of the inner city where i'm from mm-hmm. and he made a contact up there to another uh program that was christian program on one hand but also mm-hmm. offered clinical counseling on the Touch. other hand it was okay. the best of both worlds so yeah. i said you know what i'm interested in that i'm interested in that so uh, and they also uh, dealt with a lot of veterans, too. So um, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. He had somebody put me in a van or I jumped in the van. They took me up there. And that's where everything changed. So more specifically to your question of when the jump happened, I met a man in that place in Marstown, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I, met a, I met a gentleman by the name of Dr. Solomon J. Tivide. He was he was from India, originally from India. And uh he was he was a pastor, but he was also um, a clinical counselor, full fledged clinical counselor. He would train other counselors, and this man took me on. He and I had a few conversations, and he took me on as his mentee, as his project, if mm. you will. And he said this to me one day, Charles. These words are in my book. He said this to me. He said, "He said, Mike, you don't have to stay where you are." He said, "He said, what's keeping you where you are right now?" is that you've been in the abnormal so long that the abnormal has become your norm and it's become comfortable. And that's what's made you stuck in life. Hold on. Say that one more time. He said, he said, you don't have to stay where you are, you know, implying that, that, um, that where you are in life right now is not indicative of who you are. There's still more to you. And, and he said, you're, you've been in abnormal situation for so long, you know, um, being addicted and living in a homeless state and all that it, that's not normal but if you stay in anything any kind of dysfunction long enough it will turn into a normalcy and have our lives paralyzed right there and that's what he said to me and then he said when the pain of where you are these words are literally um um in my book take your power back he said when the pain of where you are mm-hmm. is greater or more powerful than the fear of where you have the potential to go then you, then you'll move that's what he said to me. That's what he said to me. And I, I started to weigh that out. And I said, wow. And he explained to me that pain and fear are what we call um, in counseling dual motivators. They'll either propel us or they'll paralyze our progress. And it's all based on our perception. He said, Mike, you got to change the way you see what's occurred in your life. And he said, he said, when you stop seeing it as something that happened to you, and mm-hmm. start seeing it as something that possibly could have happened for you. Mm-hmm. That's what. That's when you take the power out of the pain and you transform it in some, into something that can push you into your purpose. And uh, and that was all I needed right there. That was the linchpin, Charles, that opened it up, opened okay. it up altogether. All right, I'm supposed to take a break right now. <laughs> I'm not going to because I want to jump into this. I want to. I want to keep going. Okay. I want to know then. The light bulb's on. Yes, sir. You're figuring this out. Where did the old mic transform into the new mic? What point? Because now you're a, a three-time author. Sure. Speaker. So what, after that, after he told you that, where, what happened? So he told me, he told me when you finish this program, which was nine months, and he mm-hmm. told me at around the six month, he told me that. He said, when you finish this program, if I were you, I would just stay here. You're a single guy. You have no children, no anything at this mm-hmm. point. You I would stay here. I would stick around. And he said, I, 
what you can do is you can come on board here in this organization. We'll hire you and you can help out younger guys that are coming through mm. because you have the ability to counsel younger guys or at least advise them. Um, and, and what we'll do uh, in terms of pay for you, we'll pay you just a stipend monetarily. But what we'll do for you on a bigger scale is we'll give you the option to go to college and study. And and they opened that door for me, Charles. And I went 13 years straight and knocked out three degrees up to the to the beginning of a Ph.D. in psychology. And I stopped. I didn't finish the Ph.D., but I have three degrees, um, three earned degrees, all in counseling. Um, and one of them, my master's degree is a combination of theology and also uh, pastoral counseling and care. So I had that training as well. Right, and everything gotta, changed from that point. I got to stop here for a second. Yes, sir. I've always, I've always said it, and I'm going to say it again. It happened to me, and listen to your story. In life, you're going to meet somebody that's going to gravitate to you. Teacher, friend, lawyer, doctor, police person, I don't care what it is. When that opportunity comes, grab it. All right? I've been telling that there for years because there's somebody that God puts in your life to teach you, to put you underneath their wing, because they see something in you. You might not see something in yourself, but they see it. That's either, right. they, either they saw that you're a take charge kind of guy from the military, you got that presence, you got that, you know, that built, that height that people will gravitate to and feel comfortable to, whatever it is, you might not see it every day you look in the mirror, but someone else sees it. So here's the thing, people. If you find that person and you see them calling you and trying to help you and do it, don't push them away. Because that might be your key to success. That might be your one person to success. And that is his. And see what happens? Three degrees moving forward. Now let's talk about this. Let's talk about the great things you're doing because that's amazing. Sure. So in the process of uh, earning these degrees, I started uh, submitting applications to different organizations that was in the area. And I started out. You know, I started out wanting to work with uh, with youth. And so I ended up landing a job. Now, I'm still working at the program uh, and still going to school. But then I took on a uh, a three quarter time job, if you will, with an organization that was right there in town that was working with uh, 12 to 18 year old at risk youth. So most Mm -hmm. of these youth kind of were growing up the way I grew up, uh, except that I had parents and most of them are growing up in single parent homes and, you know, and just feeling like uh, once they get out of high school is that's going to be it for them and i was like no no now i'm on fire at this point i'm in college (laughs) charles you gotta you gotta understand how do you go from a homeless vet that's been in a hostile combat situation and Uh you know dealing with the 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 psychological trauma of it uh, compounded with addiction and all this other stuff can you imagine me on the first day of school? I was like, how'd I get here, man? How did this happen? But I'm going to tell you, it, it lit a fire in me that hasn't gone out to this day. Mm-hmm. And and uh, knocked out those degrees. But in the process of knocking out those degrees, uh, di- different organizations were hiring me now to, to work with people who were dealing with difficult situations. So I've worked in 25 years, fast forward 25 years later. And I've worked, I've directed programs for... Um, for homeless youth, for uh, work with veterans in different contexts, work with women in battered uh, uh, shelters, domestic violence shelters, work with people dealing with all kinds of brokenness and uh, life adverse situations, but not only people at the lower echelon of life. I've also um, worked for 
12 years with the National Football League. I went and spoke somewhere one day in New Jersey and sitting in the audience out of 800 people in the audience was the head chaplain of the New York um, Giants football and New York Yankees at the same time. A guy named George McGovern. To this day, he's one of my good friends. He came up to me, stood in line and waited, you know, to shake hands and say, hey, great message. And he said, can I speak to you kind of offline for a minute? I said, sure. He told me who he was. He said, the power in your message is definitely something that can help my young guys who have all this money but are kind of going haywire. Mm -hmm. And so I was in that context for um, for about uh, 11 or 12 years, you know, um, in the context of what they call spiritual leader or chapel speaker. I'd come in mm -hmm. 48 hours before the game and talk to guys and sit and eat with them and things of that nature. And then some of them would even speak to me offline about different situations that they couldn't talk about in the public forum. So from the from people that have unlimited money, financial wherewithal, to those mm -hmm. that pretty much don't have anything in life as it relates to materialism, but they still have hope and the possibility of becoming a better version of themselves. I've, I've, I've been doing that for 25 years now, and I've kind of brought it all under one roof, under my LLC now. Um, Michael Bethune Enterprises, which is public speaking and life coaching, etc. All right. Now, let me tell the people right now, if you're listening to this, then you realize it's never too late to jump. All right. Your story is there. I don't care what age you are from the good, the bad, the ugly, the rich, the poor. It's never too late to jump because I'm going to show you right here. This man is an author. Is this your first book or your second book here? That's my first book that I worked. I wrote when I was in the master's program there. Uh, teaching organizations and individuals how to work with people that are in what we call the least of these situation. And that book specifically speaks to people dealing with homelessness, dealing with substance abuse and addiction and dealing with reentry from incarceration that shows organizations how, how to, how to do it better. And just to be more sensitized to, to the reality of those situations and understand the systemic part that drives those situations to a certain extent too. All right. Then we move to our second book. Yeah. Eight Steps to Getting Unstuck in Life. If you look at the subtitle there, the subtitle is Lessons My Brother Taught Me After He Committed Suicide. So literally this book is me in my catharsis state after my brother Ron took his own life uh, July 14th, 2014. This That situation there thrusted my whole family into a very, a very dark place, you know, that you have no reference point for. And with mom and dad at that point being in their late 70s now they're in the early 80s but you, can you imagine like the, the our circle had not been broken at all everybody was doing pretty good in life and mm -hmm. and then to ha that situation happened to him down in raleigh north carolina he lost his job he lost his job best job he ever had after 13 years lost his job and unfortunately his marriage fell apart shortly after that and he went from january to july and those seven months that downward spiral that took him from kind of frustration about the job to despair to, you know, until the ultimate and drove into a parking lot and took his own life, you know, uh, and and in my catharsis and I still had to be there and be the point person, if you will, Charles, for my family mm -hmm. with all the counseling background and all pastor stuff and all everybody looked to me, but I was hurting, too. So. While I'm helping them, I'm performing in the daytime and helping <laughs> yeah. them get through it. And but in the evening time, when it's just me alone with myself, mm -hmm. I, my catharsis was to write like, man, God, what if you've been able to do this differently, this differently, that differently? Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and then when I spoke to people about um, who was in his life at that time, 
they told me that that's when we went down to Raleigh to clean out his home and all that stuff there. I spoke to people from his job, his barbershop, his church, and they said that when he lost his job and his wife left three months later, he just disconnected from all of his network. And that was that's one of the main things I talk about in that book is that when you go through the most adverse situations in your life, the worst thing you can do is con- disconnect connect, from the people, from people. Yeah, yep. that know you and love you the most. Because when yeah. you when you end up on one of those islands on your own and in your own mind, you know, some of your I nevers begin to to circulate. And that's a bad place to be. Yeah, it, it's funny that you think that going to the barbershop is a connection. You know, there's people around you. There's your old barber, your friends. People walk by, just say, hey, how you doing? And it it, it just gives you that little, oh, there's, Absolutely. People, there's people that still love me around here, that like me around here, whatever. We forget that we have a community. The community bonds us together, friends, family. You know, the lady at the grocery store, every time I walk in there, she always waves at me, asks me, yo, how's your kids? How's your family? There's people to connect, but we forget about that. That's we right. Every, we think everything is done, but we forget about those little people that are out there. So make sure you grab that book. But hold on. It doesn't stop there. <laughs> we go to this now. Talk about this one. Yeah. So that book right there, Take Your Power Back, is is kind of the summation of everything that you heard me talk about here explained in great detail. Um, in that book, I walked through. The, uh, so the book is laid out in 10 steps. And these te- t- 10 steps uh, describe in great detail the journey that I took that I, I, I summarize here, but it explains in detail the step I had to take here, step I took here, the step with Dr. Solomon. Once he told me that information, well, it was great information, but it was meaningless unless I took action. So I talk about how I took those steps and how I moved through this entire process and, and eventually came out um, in the end uh, um, understanding understanding what my potential was now mm-hmm. and once i understood my full potential so these steps walk a person through the first step which is kind of fear of stepping out and going for what you know you have the potential to do mm-hmm. all the way to step 10 which is embracing your full potential and launching yourself out there on the world what i love about this book is you call them steps i call them jumping into action man jumping like, into yeah, action there you go man i love it i love it because each time you tip that step it's like that's a jump. What people don't understand, when you take steps, you're jumping in your life. You're jumping. You're taking the courage to, to go to the next step. It's hard. Don't get me wrong. You know, people are like, well, Chuck, you can talk about it. And, you know, he's gone through some stuff and Mike can talk about it and blah, blah, blah. No, we all have that in us. Okay. We all have it in us to find that person, take the step. And, hey, if you need help, there's help out there. You know what I mean? There's people out there that will help you. So that is the greatest thing ever. So talk about your speaking real quick, you know, before we, we play the game. You know, I, I've I've changed my whole show today because I really wanted to get this out there for you, man. I, really- <laughs> <laughs> so, I appreciate it, man. Really do. So, so talk about talk about your talking and we're, we're going to play one game before I let you go. Yeah. So, um, again, in the process of uh, running these programs and working in, in the, the higher leadership rungs of these different nonprofits, I've had opportunities to go out and speak all over the place. I've spoken up and down um, the East Coast, primarily in this country. I've, I've spoken a little bit abroad um, in different places. But um, yeah, so so all the books that you saw, I've developed them all into workshops and, and people bring me in to do different workshops for different things. So I'm available to speak. I speak, I speak in churches. I speak in organizations. I'll speak anywhere. Um, it's not limited to just the realm of, of Christianity. Uh, 
uh, either because uh, the my message is showing hurting people how to transform their pain into power and purpose you know and 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 the process of doing that is not an easy one but i understand that journey i've made that journey so i've 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 kind of packaged it and i help teach other people that as well all right we're gonna try this in a in a quick second here we go all right all right it's time for rapid fire just to get you know you knew a little bit more Give me A, B, C, or D. I'm going to ask you some rapid-fire questions. You can explain, but it has to be like a 30-second explanation. Okay. And we're going to rip through these real fast. A, B, C, or D. Which one would you like? Oh, just randomly A, B, C, or D? I'll choose B for Bethune. Why not? (laughs) All right. Here we go. Ready? Let's go. What advice would you give someone younger than yourself? Uh, Sure. Um failure is not final there you go what scares you not being not preparing my what scares me is is not being able to protect my children in this crazy world the way that I wish that I could all right cats or dogs dogs definitely (laughs) if you can live anywhere in the world where would it be and why hmm oh man um that's a tough one i've seen some really nice places um um, i've been over to india and i've been a couple different places i've seen some really nice places but uh i guess apart from i know i know your question is to geography but um the best place that I would want to live and wherever that is on the planet is where mm. family is and where love is. That's my answer. There you go. I love that answer. Okay. Uh, what would you change about yourself? Um, if I had it to do over again, I would, I would fail quicker and get the lesson out of the way so that I learn it and move. <laughs> and and <laughs> Yeah. That's my answer to that. Fail quicker. <laughs> Don't wait so late in life to fail. I like that one because you learn you learn from it. Yeah. All right. What what's there something that you're doing that you have to do but you don't like doing it? Um, a lot of times I don't like the administrative tedious tediousness of things. Sometimes, so I hire smart people to do that for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, what is the one thing you like doing then? I love doing what I'm doing right now. I love standing on any platform, physical or digital, and pouring my heart and my life and my experience into people to see them begin to move uh, toward their full God-given potential. I love it. I'm a fish in water when I'm doing that, what we're doing right. right now. All right. And the last last two questions is, what is your hobby? Oh, man, I love playing basketball still. Um, I've been sidelined a little bit because... I got this uh, literally uh, in a couple of days. I have a, a hip joint replacement being done because <laughs> okay. I played so hard for so long. You know. All right, um, there you go. But, but I still love getting out there, tossing it up. I love that. Yeah. All right, and then the last question is: Who do you love the most? Who do I love the most? Wow family 
There you go. Family. Because if I start saying individual names, I'm going to get all kind of <laughs> calls. Trouble, yeah, family. <laughs> leave, leave, leave it at that. Straight point family. Family. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. <laughs> You made it through that one, my friend. Yeah, man. I tell everybody, make it make it a smart choice. Just say family, your cousin, your aunt. They know friends, long term friend, your family, cuz you know right, your family. Right, like- right, right. Everybody's family. That's right. <laughs> All right, last one. Let's play it. Let's have some funny. Here we go. Everybody knows the game. I couldn't let you go without doing pick three. You need to give me three numbers between one and ten, and those are my last three questions I'm going to ask you in this interview. Give me three numbers between one and ten. Three, seven, and eight. Three, seven, and eight. Three. What advice would you give someone trying to pursue a similar career to yours? Um, I would tell them not to overlook the painful experiences that they've been through in life because a lot of your power and potential are in the pearls of your pain. Mm, okay. I know, I, I, I know exactly where you're going with that one. Love yes, it. sir. Love it. Okay. Number seven, if you were in my shoes, what question would you have asked you that I never asked you? Uh, maybe what's the most dumbest thing you've ever done in life? And the answer is <laughs> uh, for for me, it would be riding home from football practice one day with uh with a half cut shirt on in the summer, shoulder pads on and all. I'm on a bicycle with three other friends and they talked me into taking the football, knocking down a hornet's nest. And we all got lit up like crazy. I'm talking about we were swollen up. We were we were my mom didn't hardly recognize me. I'm those things lit us up good. So that's that was definitely that's in the top three of the dumbest things I've ever done in my life for sure. Which which, which book is that one in? Which book is that? That's one not in? in the book. That's going to be in the memoir somewhere. Yeah, the memoir will probably be the last one. All right, and then number three, uh, name three people that is uh, influential in your life. Oh man, my uh, my my mom, my mom, my dad, who are still on this side of life. I thank God for that. My mom, my dad, and Doctor Solomon, Reverend Doctor Solomon J. Tivide, who's now on the other side of life. But I appreciate everything that he did to no end, and that's in the book as well. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. And if you listen, want to listen to more about this gentleman, he is starting up his own podcast. Is Take Your Power Back podcast. You can catch it on all platforms. My friend, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Quite welcome, Charles. Thank you. Now, listen, everybody. Like I said, it's up to you. You can take the steps. You can take the steps, like he said in his book. You can take the steps to jump. Get to greatness. But here it is. There's people around you that will help you take the steps. You're not on your own. This is not a journey by yourself. There's people out there like this gentleman, like myself, like this podcast, like his podcast. So when you think it's all over and said and done, guess what? It's not. There's people around you that love you to the max. We love you. Love yourselves. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. It's come to an end, but the fun doesn't have to stop here. If you have any questions, suggestions, or feedback, head over right now to Twitter and Facebook and like, share, and get involved. Join us next time. 
Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services. Hey, hope you had a great time listening to the show. If you think I did a great job, please buy me a coffee. I still got a lot of work to do. We would love to hear from you, your feedback, so please click the link and leave us a review. You can help us grow by following us on all social media platforms and sharing this link. Once again, it's time for you to jump. Success is waiting.